hearts for a word of prayer as we um, hear from the word of God today. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. Yeshua, our Messiah, we thank you, Lord, that you are the reason we gather. You are the reason that we have experienced redemption and eternal life. And Lord, we are thankful. Lord God, and if you do nothing else for us, we say Dianu. It is sufficient. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, give us hearts to hear and to respond to your word. And we ask it, B'Shem Yeshua Mishikenu, and God's people said, Amen. The series was entitled, Don't Pass Over the Passover. And today's message is entitled, The Personal Passover. Hidden amidst the deliverance of national Israel from the bondage of slavery in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, lies a story of personal deliverance and freedom through Passover. We know that at Passover Seders every year, we recite the Haggadah's timeless instructions to regard ourselves as having personally lived through the events of the Exodus. And there's a reason for that. The reason is because here's the truth. We would not exist. Okay? We would have perished in Mitzrayim, apart from a relationship with God and not known him and come to know his ways, okay, unless we participated in that Passover in Mitzrayim. And it is the Passover that we remember God's deliverance and what he's done, and it connects us to him. I don't know about you, but human beings have a tendency to have short memories, We have a tendency to forget, to slip away, and need to be continually reminded. In Shemot chapter 12, it says, Adonai spoke to Moshe and Aharon in the land of Egypt. He said, you are to begin your calendar with this month. It will be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the assembly of Israel and say on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb or a kid for his family, one per household except that if the household is too small for a whole lamb or kid, then he, is, he and his next-door neighbor should share one, dividing it in proportion to the number of people eating it. Your animal must be without defect, a male in its first year, and you may choose it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day. So from the 10th day to the 14th day, that lamb was attended to. And then the entire assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter it at dusk. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the two sides and top of the doorframe at the entrance of the house in which they eat it. That night they are to eat the meat roasted in the fire. They are to eat it with matzah and maror. Don't eat it raw or boiled, but roasted in the fire with its head the lower parts of its leg and its inner organs. Let nothing of it remain till morning. If any of it does remain, burn it up completely. 
For us, the greater value is in preparation, right, for Messiah. The Messiah was one body broken for all, symbolically eaten by all, in order to help believers in the new covenant keep aware of their unity as members of one body, just like the people of Israel, and realize partial consumption and fragments left over don't really symbolize that unity. So we are to partake of Yeshua in unity as the Passover lamb. This was and is very a very personal event in the life of God's people. And it is the personal aspect of Pesach that I will speak on today. And the first one is the personal lamb. Take a lamb. Each household was responsible to choose a lamb. We are responsible to choose and embrace the lamb, Yeshua. The family would get very acquainted with the lamb through daily interaction with the animal. And I have some pictures of lambs. Think of that, getting that on the 10th day and caring for that precious little lamb for four days. Give me the next picture. That very lamb, the kids were interacting with that lamb, feeding with that lamb, caring for that lamb. Next picture. No doubt taken by the beauty of the lamb. Next one. And that lamb... No doubt, if you're an animal lover of any sort, or even if you're not an animal lover, you would and can see how easily you could fall in love with an animal such as that. The kids, no doubt, got attached. And have you ever seen a child's eyes light up at the sight of an animal, especially a young animal? Um, if you're local and you've been to the, you know, Hotesville Ecology Park and you see the lambs there, we used to take our kids there when they were small. They all want to feed, you know, get the little uh, food and, and let the, the, the lambs and eat out of your hand, and it's the cutest thing. But this particular lamb was the personal lamb for the family and it was cared for by the family. Think of this. That beautiful, precious lamb was slaughtered. And it came by the very hands of the people that grew attached to it and loved it. They had to go up to that cute animal and slit its throat. They were responsible for the death of that lamb. In order for their family to live, They had to slay that lamb. That's personal. That's not something you just wash over. Just like we are responsible for the death of the Lamb of God. The scripture says he was bruised for our iniquities. 
Why did Yeshua die? You could point at yourself. He was crushed and bruised for your sin. Yours personally. Then they had to catch that little lamb's blood in a basin and get elbow deep in the blood and put it on hyssop and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. We've all had a cut in this, right? And you know the blood, it's sticky. And when you get it on, you can't wait to get it off you. And they were elbow deep in the blood of this animal this cute animal that they now took its life. What did the animal do? The animal really is guilty of nothing except giving its life for them. The same is true for Yeshua, right? Innocent. Guilty of one thing, giving his life for your sin and my sin. Nothing else. This is why a personal decision to accept the Lamb of God into the home of our hearts is required. It's not an impersonal decision. It's very personal. That's why we acknowledge that it is our sin that required his suffering and his sacrifice. It is because of the Lamb that we are not destroyed. It's because the lamb were not destroyed in our sin and separated from God's redemption. It is because of the lamb. Just like the lamb of God was responsible for the Israelite family being passed over, so the lamb of God is responsible for God's judgment passing over our lives. It is the importance of this event that cause God to tell us to celebrate Passover for all our generations. Don't forget this. Don't trivialize it. Matter of fact, when you perform it, make sure that you connect with it to the point that you were personally enslaved in Egypt. Messiah said that we should do the same thing. Keep the Passover in memory of him, the Passover lamb. Understanding the importance that we personally were passed over because of his sacrifice. Friends, I have to tell you, I stand here before you today grieved in my heart in a lot of ways. I look at a country that is on the brink of godlessness like never before. But that's not really what I'm disturbed about. I'm disturbed about the people of God. Seemingly without a passion for the only one. Who could give us life and what we need? I want to read you a quote from someone. And I want you to take this in. 
And he writes, It appears almost impossible that those who have been redeemed by the blood of the dying Lamb and loved with an everlasting love by the eternal Son of God should forget that gracious Savior. But if startling to the ear, it is in fact too apparent to the eye to allow us to deny the crime. Forget him who never forgot us. Forget him who poured his blood forth for our sins. Forget him who loved us even to death. Could it be possible? Yes, it is not only possible, but conscience confesses that it is too sadly a fault with all of us. He whom we should make the abiding tenant of our memories is but a visitor. His sacrifice, where one would think that memory would linger and unmindfulness would be an unknown intruder, is desecrated by the feet of forgetfulness. We forget about the importance of the lamb so often through our day and through our life. We treat the lamb as though if it were some type of accoutrement to our lives. He goes on to say, does not your conscience say that this is true? Do you not find yourselves forgetful of Yeshua more than you should? Some creature steals away your heart and you are unmindful of him upon whom your affection ought to be set. Some earthly business engrosses your attention when you should fix your eyes steadily upon him. It is the incessant turmoil of the world, the constant attraction of earthly things, which takes away one's soul from Messiah. That's just the truth. Let us, he goes on to say, discipline ourselves to bind a heavenly forget-me-not about our hearts for Yeshua, our beloved. And whatever else we may let slip from our lives, let us be sure to hold fast to him. Friends, I got to tell you, you know what, this that we're doing here today, we're not practicing religion. It's not just come to a service. This is a relationship with the living God. It is a relationship that is ongoing and living. It should not be trumped by our plans later today. And we have parties to go to. And we have stuff we want to do. So we, we, we flippant about the house of God. I have to tell you, sometimes in the midst of worship, I almost have a righteous indignation that builds up in my spirit. Here we are, the people of God, been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we could hardly utter a word of praise. We could hardly utter a word of praise that our hearts should be so full and the bellowing of praise should come from the innermost being of our heart for what he's done for us. Friend, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in this earth that would allow his neck to be cut and his throat slit for your life. Yet we have found that in the Savior, in the Messiah, 
who did it willingly for you and for me. Not because we were his friends, because we were his enemies, alienated from him in our sin. Not because we were so worthy, but in our unworthiness, he was willing. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who would stand with you like that. And yet, we can't even muster an ounce of praise often in our lives because we had a bad day or had a bad week or we have an attitude. Friends, we need to check ourselves and say, what are we doing? I want to ask you this question and I want you to think about it. How connected to Messiah Yeshua are you currently? How connected are you? How important is he in your life and in the life of your family? These are important things to consider. Rabbi Carol and I have an ongoing conversation about Yeshua's importance to us. Because if he is the pearl of great price, if he is our all in all and our everything, why then do we spend so much time waiting and wanting and longing for other things? We want something else. We're waiting for something else to fulfill us. When he is the prize, he is the end of our search. He is the end game. He is the one we're going for. He's our destination. But yet... In reality, he's not enough for us. And perhaps he's not enough for us because we've not really connected with him in that way. There's an old song that comes to mind and the chorus goes like this. I'm stepping out in faith, headed for the Lord. Yeshua is my goal. He is my reward. Yeshua is my goal. He was your goal at the beginning of the journey, and now what's more important? It seems like almost for a lot of us, everything else. Friend, don't think I'm exempt from the conversation. Like I said, Rabbi Carol and myself have ongoing conversation. This, what's the most important thing in our lives? that we can't get inconvenienced for him who loved us and laid his life down for us. I had a, we sing chorus songs like this, but in reality we live like we're still waiting for something more. And I had this realization as I was pondering these thoughts. Yeshua is enough. If God does nothing else in my life for me and he doesn't deliver me from any future trouble that comes my way and if he doesn't give me anything or say a word to me or do anything for me, I have enough. If he doesn't meet my future need, or answer my next prayer, I have enough. 
because he's purchased redemption for me, which lasts throughout eternity. I have this question for you. Is he enough for you? Is he enough? Not what he could do for you, not the prayers he could answer for you, not the comfort he could give to you. Is he and what he's done enough for you? He is our goal. He is our reward. I don't need anything else in my life to make me happy or complete than what I already have been given in Yeshua. I have all I need. That was the realization. I have all I need. I don't need anything else. We, we sing the song, to know him, to know him. That's the cry of my heart. To know him. If you haven't found that place in God where he is truly enough, then I would urge you to seek him until you get there. Friend, because you know what we are as believers? We are American believers. We're thinking the payoff is in something else. That he's going he's to do a great deliverance for us. He already did a great deliverance. He did the greatest deliverance. He hung on the tree and said this, it is finished. My work is finished. I've done what I needed to do. It's finished for them. I gave them, it's like the kid at the holiday time. You know, as the kids get older, eight nights of Hanukkah is a little much. So now they know as they get older, you get one big one and that's it. And it's the kid, you deliver the the big, you know, the bicycle that you put together, kind of. And they come to you the next day, and mama says, it's finished. Enjoy the bike. That's it. The well ran dry. That's what it is. That's what you're getting. Well, in a lot of ways, Yeshua is saying, that's it. I am the prize. I'm the goal. I'm it. But we're waiting for something else, longing for something else, like he's going to buy us a house and a car and a boat. He's going to pay for our kids' tuition or whatever else we're thinking. And he has to make our lives so happy that we can't. Guess what? If we can't get happy in what he's done for us, we'll never be happy. Because guess what? You may not realize it now, but one day you're going to stand before a holy God. And I know you think he's going to be like your buddy, but he's going to be so holy, you're going to be even fearful to want to look into his eyes. And when the Messiah stands as your advocate and says, no, this one is good. Because he put his faith in me, my friend, there's going to be a smile on your face from ear to ear to ear. And you're going to say, oh my goodness, anything else in that world that I thought was important does not even matter, not even a bit. And you're going to dance for joy that he says this, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Could you imagine the Israelites as the cries of the Egyptians was ringing out throughout all of Egypt? The firstborn of their families dying and they're wailing and weeping. They're just dropping because the angel of death passed over their house and they did not, he did not see the blood and they would just die. 
Do you think how grateful the children of Israel were? Do you think they wanted something else? Do you think they were saying to God, God, I wish we would have had um, a little matzo ball soup with the lamb tonight. I really didn't like the way my wife prepared the chorosit. They could care less. They were so grateful that they were passed over. Friend, I want to ask you a question. How consumed are you with the Lamb of God? Is he just something you mix into your life? It's important to note. The religious ceremony that you do? Or is he, we sang it today, Yeshua, Lamb of God. Worthy is your name, that he is our all in all. Our all in all. Colossians chapter 3 in the Brit Hadashah says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. That's what it says. You have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. I want to encourage you, and I'm going to say this right now. You can't blame it on God. You can't blame it on society. You can't blame it on your family. God has given to us everything he's going to give us. And it's an insult to God thinking that his son isn't enough. God, I want more. Friends, that's just not the case. God gave us everything he's going to give us. He gave us everything. That's it. We need to consider that. Our relationship to the personal lamb brings our personal freedom. There are four promises that God gives us at Passover that are personal to each of us. They're found in Shemot chapter 6. And the first one is this. I will take you. Say me. I will take you out. We have already spoken about being in slavery quite a bit as we have celebrated Pesach in our homes and as a congregation. What does it mean to be a slave? In Egypt... It was living in subjugation to a cruel dictator. In sin, it's being in bondage to an even greater demonic influence seeking to destroy our eternal soul. And it doesn't end there. That's why Passover is so relevant because it is about the past, the present, and the future happening in our lives. We were exiles in Mitzrayim. Here is how one commentator put it. What does it mean to be in exile? Exile is being trapped by bad habits. 
Exile is being a slave to the old ways of thinking. Exile is feeling very far away from the relationships that we care about, like mom and dad and friends. Mitzrayim, says scholars, comes from the word sar, which means narrow in Hebrew, narrow. Being in exile is feeling limited and restricted. Even when we can talk, uh, even when we can walk or drive as far as we want, we feel, st- feel restricted or narrow, like we, we can't move or breathe. That's personal. That's something we could all relate to. What is enslaving you? What bad habits do you still feel trapped by? Because the Messiah came to take you out, you, from your problem and your issue. What old ways of stinking thinking are you hanging around, letting still hang around and bringing you down? Are you feeling alienated in the midst of a crowd? God said, I will take you out, you out from that. He also said, I will rescue you. You ever been in need of rescue? Now, realize this. What I spoke before is you don't even need to worry about him. He is actively wanting to rescue you. God sent Moshe to B'nai Yisrael, and even though he was not who they expected or even what they wanted, Right? They gave Moses a hard time. God sent the right man for the task. And the scripture says God heard the cries of his people and he hears your cry today. God sent Messiah Yeshua to rescue us. He too was not what we as a people expected. Nor was he what the leadership of the first century wanted. But he was the right man for the task. And in Yochanan chapter 6, it says this, For I have come down from heaven to do not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose any of those he has given me, but should raise them up in the last day. Yeshua came for you to take you out of your broken condition and to give you good news. He came to rescue you. It says, the spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me because he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to let out into light those who are bound in dark, to proclaim the year of the favor of Adonai and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, yes, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, giving them garlands instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a cloak of praise instead of a heavy spirit, so they can be called oaks of righteousness planted by Adonai in which he takes pride. If you notice, these things are provided for us, but we must take advantage of them. Yeshua is the good news. What he did for us is the Besorah. He is the Besorah. See, we think the good news is something else coming. He is the good news. 
like the Israelites who were freed but needed to make right choices to maintain that freedom, so the same is true for us. They had to leave Egypt. They had to get up and pack their stuff and obey what God said and walk out. They didn't just sit around their house and say, God, you promised to deliver me, do it. No, they had to get up, clothe themselves, do the Passover stater, and get up and leave. Their deliverance happened with their cooperation to God's ways. Many believers want God to do these tremendous things for them, but they don't want to cooperate. They want to stay in their house and wait for something to happen to them. Friends, that is not the way it's designed to go. It does not happen like that. You have to cooperate with him. He'll rescue you. He'll split the sea. As you obey him. It's funny, we went out to outreach. And isn't it amazing the nervousness and the fear and the trepidation that people feel goes away? Where'd it go? It went away as you obeyed God's word to go out into all the world and proclaim the good news. It doesn't go away first, it goes away when. Hear that. Oh, you're waiting for God to do something for you. You could be waiting a long, long time. How many years in Egypt? (laughs) You could be waiting a long time. See, it comes as you obey him. And it's amazing how it works every time. As you step out in faith, God meets you. And the fear becomes faith and the intimidation becomes excitement. You know what? It even happens in worship. I mentioned worship. Oh, we're hard-pressed to utter a word of praise because we had a tough week. Yet on the tree of sacrifice, as he was breathing his last breath, he's forgiving someone, praying to God that God would spare his soul. We are led out into the light, but then it is up to us to walk in the light as he is in the light. To walk in the light. He's taken us out of darkness into light, but now that we see, what do we do? What do we see when he says, go out into all the world? Do we pretend it doesn't exist? Do we pretend, well, I don't have a personality for that. Rabbi, I don't have a personality to lift my hands in worship. That's just not me. It's not how I was raised. Friend, I can't tell you that there was nothing more awkward to me the first time I went into a house of worship and they were lifting their hands. Foreign. I'm a Northeasterner, you know, born and raised. Right down the block. If I had a good arm, I could hit it. Not my personality. We're reserved. But as I begin to see in the word of God where it says lift your hands and lift your voice and I read about the teachings of the people of God who rejoiced in God for what he had done for them and I reflected on what the Messiah did for me not that I deserved a second of it and I said okay I'll be obedient to that I'll lift my hand and my hand started here 
because I didn't want anyone to see, after all, that I was a freak like everyone else, so I, I said to hear. Like. And then after another week, you went to hear. Hey, no one's looking at me. This ain't half bad. They went dual hands. <laughs> Little swaying to the music, you know? And then all of a sudden they went full mass. And then it got to a point where I can, could care less what people thought if they were watching or crying or, or doing whatever they were doing because he is worthy. And the point is, when we're obedient, all those things that inhibit our life fall away. God sets us free into that place. Light is so awesome when we walk in the light. But I'll tell you what, what do you think happens when we see the light and we ignore it? Oh, God says to go out into the world and tell people, but that's not my personality. Ignore it. God says lift your hands and praise and lift your voice. Well, that's not my personality. Ignore it. What happens then? You stay bound part of our lives. Yes, we're still heaven bound, but there's part of our lives that are bound, not free. The third one, he said, I will redeem you. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means to be purchased back into the possession of God. That you belonged, not to God. We're not obligated to follow old patterns of behavior and thinking. We don't have to be a slave, have a slave mentality any longer. We were bought with the price of the precious blood of Messiah. No matter what, is said to you or done to you, it doesn't change the fact of who you are in the sight of God and where you're headed. That's why the psalmist said, in God, his word, I will praise. What can man do to me? What can he say to me? What could someone do to you as we went out on the streets doing these questionnaires? This was my thought. What could they say to me? I don't want to take that questionnaire. How dare you ask me questions? What could they say? Oh, you have a lot of nerve to, to, to be here? I mean, what could they possibly say? What could they say? Spit at me? Punch at me? At the end of the day, so? What could they really do to me from an eternal perspective? Nothing. They can't do one thing. But God, what he could do for you. God said, I have redeemed you. What then are we to say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, the Lamb of God, but gave him up on behalf of us all. Is it possible that having given us his son, he would not give us everything else too? So who will bring a charge against God's chosen people? Certainly not God. It is he. He is the one who causes them to be considered righteous. Who punishes them? Certainly not the Messiah Yeshua who died 
and more than that has been raised and is at the right hand of God and is actually pleading our behalf. Who could separate us from this redemption, from the love of the Messiah? Could trouble, hardship, persecution? How many believers think God left them because they're persecuted? Friends, he promised in this world you will have tribulation. But guess what? You already got the paycheck in advance. You got him. He paid you up front. He gave you the prize before you played the game. So what can separate us from God? Trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, war, as the Tanakh puts it. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are super conquerors through the one who has loved us. For I am convinced, and here's my question to you. Are you convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor heavenly rulers, neither what exists nor what is coming, neither powers above nor powers below, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which comes through the Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Are you convinced of that? Yeah, you'll be convinced of that if you know him. But if, you, if you're only basing your relationship to God to whether you have a smooth life, then you're basing it on the wrong thing. He didn't have a smooth life. The Talmudim that followed him didn't have a smooth life, but they had an awesome life that they wouldn't, they laid their life down for the life that the Messiah gave. Say to, you, say to your neighbor, he has redeemed me. I want you to listen to this. The last day of Pesach is the conclusion of what began on the first night of Pesach. The first night of Pesach is our festival commemorating our redemption from Egypt by the Holy One, blessed be he. It was the first redemption carried out through Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the first redeemer. He was the first redeemer. And so the traditional Jews all over the world, we celebrate the first redeemer and the Torah. And it's awesome. And we should. But the Baal Shem Tov went on. He said the last day of Pesach, which is today, right? The last day of Pesach is our festival commemorating the final redemption. Say final redemption. That means no redemption's coming. No greater thing is coming. Final redemption. The same redemption Yeshua said on the tree. It is what? Finished. Final redemption. He said the last day is commemorating the final redemption when the Holy One, blessed be He, will redeem us from the last exile through our righteous Messiah who is the final Redeemer. The first day of Pesach is Moshe Rabbeinu's festival. The last day is Mashiach's festival. Friend, he is it. He is it. He is the source of our everything, our life, 
our happiness, our living, our breathing. Don't be talked out of it by the world. Don't be talked out of it. That, oh, oh, you have a bad life if you bring your kids up in faith and they can't go to baseball and soccer and football and, I mean, God forbid, they would have to sacrifice a sport because you know how much joy that brings to the eternal soul of man. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to play those things, but it's wrong for people to elevate it above God. God is first. I like to play sports. I like to watch sports. Me and Gary will talk about sporting things. Like, for instance, the Mets won 13-1 last night. Yes, I know that. Let's go Mets. I have a shirt in Hebrew that says, let's go Mets in Hebrew. I have a Mets keeper with the, it's blue with the nice orange Mets. Yes, I have that. But it doesn't come before God. In my family, my family, my kids could stand on their head and they know it. God is first. Well, I, I, have, a, I have an orientation. You have an orientation? Great. It'll wait till after Shabbat, period. Not compromising the things of God for earthly things that will perish. Friend, we have to stop being talked into like worldly things. Oh, it was so great. Believers go to bars. Because after all, there's so many great things that happen at bars, right? Aren't there? I don't know about you, friend. It's not my first rodeo. I grew up the first 25 years of my life without Messiah. Oh, I've been in my fair share of bars, and if I could tell you, even as an ungodly man, there ain't nothing good happened in those places. Matter of fact, I could sum it up like this. There's nothing good that happens past 11 o'clock at night. Everything that happens after 11 is bad stuff. But yet, we're, we're lured into thinking we're missing out on something. Friends, if you have Messiah, you're not missing out on a single solitary thing. The things that we did in the service today is what consists of heaven. Singing and praising and worshiping God who you were created for. You would, you're not going to sit there and say, man, God, this, this worship service is so boring. It's been happening for the past 500 years. Because, you know, in heaven there's no time. <laughs> so eternity, fill up eternity with praise and worship. No, you're going to be excited. And you're going to be so filled with the life of God. Loving every solitary second. And then the last promise, he says, I will take you to me. We can see that the goal of the Passover is really the same goal that I mentioned in the first point. God takes us out of darkness, choshek. It's a, it's a plague, actually, right? It's the ninth plague, choshek. In order to bring us to his light. Light is a gift, both in the natural, right? Both in the natural and spiritually speaking as well. As believers, our ultimate destination is God himself. 
Moshe kept telling Pharaoh to let B'nai Israel go so they could do what? He doesn't mention to go to the promised land. That wasn't the goal. Do you remember what he said to him? So we could go worship God. That's what he told Pharaoh. Let my people go so they could worship the living God. That was the goal. Not so they could go into the land flowing with milk and honey. That was a promise God gave because God is who he is. He loves to give good things. But that's not the goal. The goal was let us go so we could worship God. Understanding that God was their destination. And at Horeb, God was their destination. That's the same goal we have today. The Messiah came so that we can worship and serve the loving God of the universe in spirit and in truth. The good news is that through Messiah, we have access to a relationship with God. It's not that we have access to the American dream. Do you think that's what, I mean, believers in, a, in, the, in, a, in, the, in the first world countries think God's given them access to the American dream. God could care less about the American dream. As a matter of fact, God hasn't even dreamt the American dream. He could care less about material things to the point where heaven's streets are made of gold. He walks on them. He uses precious stones to make gates out of. What do you make gates out of in the natural? Wrought iron, cheap stuff, right? Not gold and precious things because to God, they're just, they're meaningless to God. See, we have our priorities wrong. We're twisted up. We think more like the world than heaven. I mean, that's the last promise. I will take you to me. And I can only imagine some modern worshipers would be so disappointed with that. You mean that's it? That's all I get? Just you? You don't improve my life? You don't give me a better job? You don't give me a husband, a wife? Six grandkids, you know, that, 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 just you? Yeah, that's the promise. I will take you to me. What do you think of that? I think this. I think we have been told a faulty message where Yeshua isn't really the destination. He's an accoutrement. He's almost like, like a little genie in the bottle. When you want something, you go, rub it up, you ask him, and he gives it to you. And if he doesn't give it to you, you're mad at him. You're mad at him. And you know you can't say you're mad at him because you know that's not R.C., Religiously correct. So you just act mad at him. He's not a genie in the bottle. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He does not answer to you. You answer to him. That's the way it is. And let me tell you, when you stand before him at that day, you're going to be so grateful that he is as good as he says he is. 
And you're not going to be saying, God, how come I got that house only and that car only and those clothes only and I only had 95 pairs of shoes only. You're not going to say that. You're going to say, thank you, God. This faulty Bessarah in the world can lead to wrong impressions and expectations about God. God is the goal, the prize, the payoff, the everything. If you got him, you have everything you need to get. And that's why we can read in Hebrews, the letter to the Messianic Jews, chapter 11, and the, the reason why you could see the people like Avraham who were blessed with great wealth and riches and the people that lived in holes of the ground are, have the same exact faith because they got the same exact grand prize. The grand prize isn't the stuff. The grand prize is God. At Passover time, it is all about the Lamb. It's all about the Messiah from beginning to end. Yeshua, when he came onto the scene, was introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he concluded his ministry on earth as the Lamb of God at the last final Seder with his Talmudim, identifying with the broken middle matzah, as the one who would be broken for mankind and then wrapped and buried and raised again. From the beginning to the end, Passover is about him. It's about him. Traditionally, the kids are opening it up. Up is Eliyahu here to announce Mashiach? Mashiach's come. And it is unfortunate that those of us who know him are still looking for something else. I want to challenge that today. And I hope just like we take that last piece of matzah at the Passover Seder, do you know which one is the last one that lingers in our mouth? It's the Afikomen. It's the, resur- the one that represents the resurrection life of Messiah that you eat, and that's supposed to be the last taste that lingers in your mouth, the resurrection life of Messiah that is enough for us. We don't get nothing else after that. We're supposed to. That's it. His person is to linger with us. Him. Shaul knew this. This is why he wrote this. And I conclude, yes, all the things. Say all the things. All the things I once thought were so important. Remember, he studied under Gamaliel. He was a macher. He was the main student. Yes, the Gamaliel of the Talmud. Shaul served with Gamaliel. He was a... He was a contemporary to Yochanan ben Zakkai, the founder of rabbinic Judaism. Shaul was in the same class with him, contemporaries. 
Yet, yes, all the things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Messiah Yeshua as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Insignificant, not important. It's dog dung, who says in this translation. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Messiah and be embraced by him. I gave it all up. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I can know Messiah personally. All that, I hope this lingers in your mind, and I pray the Holy Spirit, you can't shake it. All that inferior stuff. There's nothing you could get in the natural that is on equal playing ground is Messiah. All that inferior stuff, whether it be material, whether it be pleasurable, is inferior to him. That is what Passover is ultimately about, a personal encounter and relationship with God. Yeshua, our Passover lamb, bids us to come unto him so that we can live in the reality of the freedom that he came to give each one of us personally. So the last Passover Seder celebrated is consistent with the first Passover, God bringing us out of slavery and into a life of freedom in him. But just like the Israelites had to choose a lamb, you and I have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. And I want to put you on the hook. Everyone in this room want to put you on the hook to make a choice. Are you going to choose the Lamb of God? Because I'm going to tell you what. I've lived life before Messiah to its full. And I can tell you there is not one single solitary thing that I ever did and I did my heart's desire that ever brought an ounce of true satisfaction to my heart not an ounce but when I received Messiah satisfied and fulfilled oh and I can tell you and I can guarantee you the enemy tries to talk you out of it the rest of your born days Try to making other things look attractive again. You ever have too much cheesecake? <laughs> Seriously, you ever have too much? And that cheesecake that looks so good, when you have too much, man, can we throw that thing out? It gives you the heebies. That's what the world is. The enemy always overplays his hand in excess. That stuff only has a little appearance that it satisfies. God satisfies to the core of our being. I want each of you now to bow your hearts, bow your head, 
and between you and God. You know, we're a Messianic synagogue here. God knows you. He knows where you're at. And I want you, between you and God, to talk to him and say, God, I heard what the rabbi said today. God, you know my life. God, you see the desires and the things I want and I think I need and everything concerning me. But God, today I'm choosing the Lamb of God above all else. I'll tell you, on that day when you stand before Yeshua, you're not going to stand there with your family. You're not going to stand there with your kids. You're not going to stand there with anyone else. It's going to be you and him, panim el panim, face to face. Is he enough? Scripture says there is salvation in no other name. And I'll add to that because the scripture says it too, just not in the same place. There is satisfaction in no other name. The name of Yeshua. I want you to say to the Lord, God, yes, I'm choosing Messiah Yeshua. I'm picking you, God, over anything else. Amen. Listen, I know this, this message, I'll be honest with you, I know it could have came off a little heavy, but it's so passionate in my heart because I, t- I think the time for playing games is over. People, there's real lives at stake. There's people who, you know what, God is trying to find folks who are really jazzed by him. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to uh, end with the ironic um, benediction today, but I don't want to chant it. I just want to say it because I really feel we just need to allow that word and the things that this message might provoke in your heart to really linger because they're really worthy of consideration. How are you going to go forward in your life from today forward? Status quo? How are you going to portray God to your family? Status quo? Are you going to conclude that he's enough if he does nothing for you ever again? I hope so. That's my prayer. Because I can tell you, there's nothing else worth living for. I don't know, I said to Moshe, speak to Aharon and his sons. Tell them that this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. You are to say to them, 
May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face toward you and give you peace. And in this way, they are to put my name on the people of Israel so that I will bless them. Father, I pray, God, for each and every person in this room. Father, that we would be like that person in the parable, God, that when they found the pearl of great price, Lord, in the field, Lord, they sold everything they had and purchased the field because they, that man knew what was important. And Yeshua, you likened yourself to the pearl of great price. And Father, I pray we would do the same that we would put all of our stock in you. Father, because you're worthy. Father, I pray that you would bless each family, God, each man of the house or woman of the house, God, with, Lord, a new level of profound connection to you. And Lord, it would be seen in their lives seen in their family, seen in their worship. And we ask it B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Guys, thanks for, li- for listening. Um, take it to heart, and we'll see you. Listen to me. Uh, just to note, those Zachor pins, wear them starting tomorrow. And people are going to ask you, what's that pin that you're wearing? You could tell them. And you know what? As Rabbi Carroll was speaking, what a disservice to a Holocaust survivor if we're not filled up. You should compel people to come. You, you have kids? You need to get them here to hear the things that really happened in our world so they won't happen again. That people put other people in ovens and, and, and killed them murderously.